Yeah, yeah. So the only thing I've got that I am keeping an eye on is my son, who uh, is currently sleeping. Okay. So uh, hopefully he uh, he stays down. Okay. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah. yeah. I was looking forward to like hanging out with him. Like you know what I mean? We can both all I, I know three dudes talking about Charles Barkley. <laughs> like that happens all the time in America, right? I know. I know. Welcome to my summer lair. I'm your host, Sammy. I am not a role model. Yunan. <laughs> that was an excellent audio clip from the classic Charles Barkley Nike commercial from 1993. NBA player Charles Barkley argued that athletes should not be considered role models. Rather, parents should, you know, raise their own kids. This debate still rages on like the Springfield Tire Fire on The Simpsons. Charles Barkley's 16-year NBA career effectively ended on December 8, 1999 with a left knee injury. And as my guest Timothy Bella points out, he remains wildly popular thanks to his often funny, usually irreverent work as a basketball analyst on what is considered the greatest sports show, not basketball show, sports show on television, Inside the NBA. Barkley joined Inside the NBA in 2000. At that point, it was just Ernie Johnson, the closest replacement to Mr. Rogers humanity could muster, and Kenny the Jet Smith, another retired NBA player. It's been two wonderful decades of Barkley on TV, which means there's an entire generation who do not know who he was as a player. Q. Barkley, a biography written by Timothy Bella, a staff writer for the Washington Post. Yeah, how cool is that? That's not a typical sports writer. I value that outsider perspective because it makes it easier to step back and see the whole of Barkley's careers, plural, and life. Typically in a sports biography, you expect to hear from people associated with the player, you know, coaches, other teammates, maybe even sports journalists. But to give you a sense of how radical Barkley's life has been, yeah, Timothy Bella interviewed the expected people, but he also talked to Conan O'Brien, Roy Wood Jr., Chuck D, Billy Crystal, and DJ Jazzy Jeff. When have you ever heard or seen those prominent creators listed together? <laughs> like, yo. And as you hear in our conversation, it all makes sense. This My Summer Later interview was so fun. I like Barkley a lot, and I appreciate that Tim's book humanizes Barkley. All too often, he's classified or dismissed as the TV big mouth. And he is, and I enjoy that part of him. Barkley's comments, the ones that go viral like that Nike role model commercial, serve as a constant and inspiring reminder. Sacred cows make delicious hamburgers. And if you know Barkley, then you know he's always hungry. Food is a fantastic way to kick off my conversation with Timothy Bella, specifically barbecue. Here's the first My Summer Layer episode that requires a bib. Sound, the final frontier. My Summer Layer is an enterprise a pop culture voyage with a continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new creators and celebrate established producers, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now here is your host, Sammy Yunan. I'm ready to go if you're ready to go to talk about Charles Wade Barkley. I'm good to go, man. Yeah. Okay, so I want to start here. Charles Barkley, he was born and raised in Leeds, Alabama. We're starting really from the beginning. Obviously, you did a lot of research for your Barkley book. Uh, the book's just called Barkley. But there's one part of your Leeds research I want to focus on. How is the barbecue in Leeds, Alabama? Oh, man. It's so good. Uh, and as someone who grew up in Texas, I have very high standards for barbecue. This but, is what I'm getting into. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Their pork is good. Now, if a beef in Texas will always be best in my opinion but once you to get into the southeast it's really about pork and they know how to do it right so uh that and they've got some really good pies there there's uh there's a a banana pie there especially that mm. is just absolutely fantastic yeah so highly recommended <laughs> <laughs> when you're talking about like pork you're talking about like ribs or pulled pork or what exactly are you talking about pulled pork 
and ribs. They're uh, um specifically the uh, the ribs are are really top notch. But uh, yeah, no, I uh, I got full pork my first time there, and then ribs the yes, second time. But I did get pie both times, so I, I must <laughs> not that. So All right. it's good. Yeah. <laughs> See, this is a good tip because, like, future journalists might be listening to this and they're like, I don't know if I should write a book or whatever. And, like, people overlook the barbecue aspect of, like, writing a sports book. Yes, yes. No, it's very important. If you are in the South and working on a book, be sure to know the best barbecue place around. If this one in Leeds is called Rusty's Barbecue. So shout out to them. By the way, before we kind of get deeper into your Barkley book, what are your barbecue sides? So as you said, you got some ribs. What are your sides? Um, I usually tended to stick with if there is a good barbecue bean. I really like that as well. I'm also a uh, potato salad guy too, but it's got to be right. Yeah. If, it, if, if Because I've had a lot of bad head potato salad in my life uh so they've they, they got to get that right and there's hope it's got to be a pickle bar too if, if there are no onions or pickles or extra bread included i will always be skeptical about that so. okay these are good tips all right yeah. <laughs> like we're learning a lot that's the whole point of an interview right is to like learn things so owen has cast me about barbecue through this entire stretch. So thank you very much for that, Sari. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. <laughs> you, I mean, like, I've never been to Leeds, Alabama, but I've been to, like, uh, Nashville. Like, I've been to, like, Dallas, uh, Austin, San Antonio. Like, so uh, I just wanted to kind of, like, start, like, you can't just talk about places like this. Like, I know you're from Texas, and, like, you obviously did some time in Leeds, Alabama for this book. You can't just brush over the barbecue part. Like, this is this is vital. It's crucial. Yeah, no, you sh- should always know of like what they are good at too. Like I, I, I knew this place was good for their pork, their ribs, and mm-hmm. you just got to take advantage of it because I live outside DC and it's just there's nothing here. I've been to DC as well, and it is disappointing for the barbecue. <laughs> After having been to places like in Texas and like Nashville, as I said, DC is a little disappointing for uh, barbecue. It sure is. But let's move off from barbecue. We can return back to it if you want at the end. But for now, um, I recently read Jeff Perlman's Bo Jackson book, uh, The Last Folk Hero. Uh, Bo, of course, shows up a couple of times, more than a few times, actually, in your Barkley book. So Jeff's bio is mostly like a serious book, right? Bo had to overcome poverty and different setbacks to like finally arrive in the NFL and the MLB. Your sports bio, Barkley, it's really funny. Like Charles Barkley's nicknames alone are like amazing. <laughs> were you laughing at all when you wrote yeah, this so book? Many of them. Yeah, were you laughing when you wrote this book and had to include all these like wacky and funny, goofy nicknames? Yeah, and... I think that's what um, if he's partially drew me to Chuck is that for so long he has been, this character has taken on so many different names. I mean, he's he's uh, Ali or Apollo Creed in <laughs> some ways in that he, he has more nicknames than just about anyone mm-hmm. I know. But yeah, it, it's... It, you, and you think of Charles Barkley, one of the first things you probably think of is fun. And and it's one of my goals in this book was to uh, take everybody back to see how he got to be that funny and how he kind of embraced it. Because at first, with his weight in Leeds, in Auburn, even in Philadelphia. He really did just kind of shy away from uh, just being known as this fat guy. Mm-hmm. And I I think of eventually once he started to get attention for uh, just how incredible he was, he knew that, that people would be even more 
interested in a guy who looked like them, who enjoyed pizza even more than the average person <laughs> who who just loved eating and was full of life and mm. other foods. So <laughs> I, I do think that that was at least one goal in his book was to just have fun with it because naturally Charles Barkley is a very fun and funny guy unlike maybe a Bo Jackson and I I agree that book is fantastic but uh mm-hmm. yeah they were two very different people though for sure yeah that's why I paralleled them and like two of the names that we're talking about that really cracked me up and I never heard these in terms of uh Barkley <laughs> until I read your fantastic book was the Don Rickles of basketball, which is, that's perfect. Like, if you know who Don Rickles is, that's that should be on Charles Barkley's business card. And the other one was Fred Astaire and Orson Welles' body, which, again, is, <laughs> like, that is spot on. Like, if you, because I've seen him play in Philadelphia and in the Suns, and he exactly was Fred Astaire and Orson Welles' body. Yeah, that's a, it's a really good one. He just, um, he embrace those names too and uh i know even at times when the uh, 76ers would uh have these promos at their home games where fans who weighed over 250 pounds got in for free um (laughs) and that's a real thing by the way that did happen his first couple years even when that happened he was able to embrace it at that point because he knew that he was on to something i uh, just kind of being this common man in a sport where you see these guys just running up and down uh they, these freak athletes who are all in shape and then you see this guy who it don't get me wrong. It, it, for most standards, incredibly in shape as far as a runner goes, but you see him at the first and you're like, how the hell is that guy doing that? How is he skying over dudes who are six inches taller and just slam dunking on everyone and cussing them out? Mm-hmm. And like, how is he doing that? So he definitely had in appeal for his game but his weight and his body type just added to that physique especially early on sammy to me reading your book and like especially as you're going through college um as you said they kind of highlighted his weight once he got to the sixers they started highlighting his weight again like all those charles barkley nicknames to me that was the trailer Right, He was difficult to sum up. And I know a lot of them kind of centered around his weight, but it was also just about his skill, the round mound of rebounds and things like that as well. Like he was difficult to just like, he's this one guy. Like Mr. T is easy to sum up. He's just this dude with chains, right? He's Mr. T. But with Barkley, uh, he's difficult to sum up. And we've seen that with his TNT work and some of the comments he's made over the years, not even just about the black stuff, but just like the big old women in like San Antonio, like, he's not easy to put into this box. And all those nicknames, to me, were the trailer. Like, you can kind of see where he was where he was going to head or where he was going to evolve to based on the, the variety of the nicknames because we've never seen something like that before. Yeah, it's no secret that he has always been, one, entertaining, two, he'll close his biggest mind, and three, he's going to make headlines. Like, if, as a reminder to everyone, he hasn't picked up a basketball or played in a basketball game since 2000. We're talking over two decades ago, and he is as relevant and as popular now than he, he ever has been. Which is um, crazy. And yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I do think part of that is honesty and the fact that him and this – American public, this worldwide public has this relationship with Charles that since his time at Auburn is now at 
almost four decades. And I do think that if people have a, a good understanding of who he is and where he comes from and when he says things, he mostly comes from this place of love instead of hate. Um, now, don't get me wrong. He screws up and he screws up mm-hmm. a lot and he does offend people, whether it be uh, when it comes to the Hack Lives Matter movement or police brutality or, as you mentioned earlier, with the uh, the women of San Antonio. Yeah, um, women, yeah. He, yeah, and like, it's funny for a lot of people, but if you're not in on that joke, you would be like, how is he still getting away with all of this stuff and hasn't been canceled yet? Or or how does he keep bouncing back? And I do think it just, and the trust that the public has in Charles Barkley and that he does really care about people and he doesn't mean harm if he's most of the time. And uh, that he has really taken on his role as everybody's crazy uncle who will say mm. and do things that are going to offend you that are just flat out wrong, but you're always going to come back to him because uh, there is a feeling of love there. I don't know if you watch Marvel movies or anything like that. You're, I know your son is still a little young. I do. But he reminds yeah, me of Loki. <laughs> right the the same kind of like mischief yeah. the the same like you're not really quite sure what side he's on um the way that like thor will sometimes say like yeah, that guy's my brother and then when somebody brings up loki's record he's like well he's adopted brother you know what i mean like there's a little distance is like because you can kind of see that with like kenny sometimes or like yeah sh- like charles is my brother well adopted brother you know what i mean like there's that little <laughs> gap or that little distance that he's got to put in and that's what he reminds me of. It's kind of like Loki. That's very fair, I think. Mm-hmm. Because as you know, when he first got introduced to Loki, you know, he we were mostly doing uh, him as the antagonist. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in Avengers 1, uh, that he was a, a big bad there. And then, over time, we just got to love him. And he became one of us. And I I do think in some ways that Charles is like that. I I, I don't think it took people as long to actually get there just because once he got over just being so angry toward his father and angry toward his high school teachers who failed him and forced him to, uh, not walk at his graduation. Once he he finally let go of that anger, years into his NBA life, he he was finally able to fully embrace his funny and jovial mm-hmm. side that we had seen of him in spurts. Um, I do think following the instant in which he accidentally he spit on a small girl in mm-hmm. New Jersey. Uh, th- that was an event he almost did not come back from. He felt like he's, his career was in jeopardy at that point in time. And he t- had to really re-examine himself and figure out, you know, am I going to be this angry for the rest of my life. And once he realized that he could let go of that anger, then we were able to fully get the Charles Barkley that we have come, come to know and love and who we've watched every week on TV for the last two plus decades. But mm-hmm. he, he was not always that way, though. Yeah, and not just the the fun and the jovial Barkley, but also he's an authentic Barkley as well. The, what I'm thinking of is that classic uh, Nike commercial. I loved it when I was in high school. I'm not a role model. Mm-hmm. 
and he basically was saying, uh, I'm not a role model. I'm just paid to wreak havoc on the basketball floor. Parents should be role model. He put it back on the kids. So you didn't even devote a whole chapter to this Nike ad um, and some of the controversy that kind of created and some of the friction that it caused within the black communities and all kinds of things like that. Can you just unpack a little bit of how this Nike ad came to be? Yeah, so there are two origins to this story. Uh, uh, Charles said that it it is something he went to Howard White at Nike about uh, this idea for the actual ad itself. So that is Charles's way of saying it. But uh, Jim Riswold, who was the creative genius at this uh, firm in Portland uh, that Nike used for these ads, said that, that he saw a version of this quote that Charles had said mm-hmm. that same year. And he was struck by it. And then he came up with the idea and presented it to Charles. So there are these two countering stories here, but whoever is right, I uh, created this ad that at that time resonated so much with a public because it came at a time when Charles Barkley was in the middle of the, the finest year of his NBA life. Not only did he win a gold medal in Barcelona, but he won the MVP in Phoenix and he, and he led that team to the NBA finals. So he was at the peak of his powers. This guy who was probably number two behind Michael Jordan in the pecking order mm-hmm. at that time. And here he is in a Nike ad saying, you might hook up to me, but I am not your damn role model. Mm-hmm. And that really struck a chord with so many people who for, for, for years and decades have thought of our sports heroes as the ultimate role models for for children and i do understand where he was trying to come from here because he has often said that families should ultimately be the, the first role model for any child growing up not an athlete who is just prone mm-hmm. to screw up who who you don't know right. either. So I do understand where he was coming from, but That's boy, he started, he started a culture where mm-hmm. before culture <laughs> wars were actually a thing yeah. because now you had people just on, on both sides of this debate, just going back and forth about the role of an athlete, uh, uh, Carl Malone even wrote an article in Sports Illustrated saying uh, athletes should be role models. Like uh, Vice President Dan Quayle was very supportive of Charles at that point in time. Like it, it turned into just a clash, and Charles did not expect to face that much blowback from it, but. Um, with hindsight being what it is, how could you not expect it? I mean, that's something that was going to happen no matter what. But Mm -hmm. Charles has always said that he, that that role model ad is still one of the, uh, it's the thing he is the most proud of in his NBA life. And, People are still talking about it today. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's incredible. It's a black and white ad Mm -hmm. that lasts uh, under 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. And uh, here you are still talking about it. So it's really a credit to him that three decades later, people are still talking about his role model ad. 
yeah, just to give it some context of what you're talking about, like um, Kyrie recently got in trouble for posting an anti-Semitic uh, documentary. And there was a lot of fallout for it. And obviously this is completely different because it was it's related to anti-Semitism. So I get that part of it. But one of the things that was interesting was that like people like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and others we're still writing articles today that like Kyrie's a role model and he shouldn't be posting these things. And like, he should be a pillar of like, because he's a basketball player and like he, the kids are looking up to him. I'm like, we're still like, you know what I mean? Like still going through this cycle of like, what kind of an impact like does the athlete have for the kids? And like, they gotta be a good person and like all this kind of stuff. And like the end of that Nike ad, uh, I'm not a role model that Charles Barkley did was like, I am paid to wreak havoc on the basketball floor. That's the one of the lines that he has in there. And he's right. Like, he was never paid to do, like, he had, like, weight clauses, obviously. But there's no, like, general, like, morality clauses or, like, you know, like, if you get divorced, like, you're a bad role model. You know what I mean? Like, you lose a certain amount of money or whatever. Like, there aren't those kind of things in there that, like, they paid him to do basketball and he was really good at it. And sometimes we kind of forget and we try and, like you were saying, like, put all this kind of extra pressure or extra, like, weight on these athletes to, like, be these, like, super-duper, like, morality Mr. Rogers types when they're not. Yeah, no, it's true. And for uh, uh, the record, I do think athletes have a responsibility of if someone wants to look at them as a role model, that should be accepted because it, once you hit a certain point and you are a public figure mm-hmm. like that, it's part of the job. Right. It's part of the responsibility that you take on. Now, should they be a primary role model? No. I don't think so in that regard. But um, if, if this has been going on for a while and that people do look up to these athletes and it it's going to keep happening that way, whether it's Kyrie or, or Denny will So if there is that responsibility there, once you become this public figure, um, so it, it's going to keep happening, but I, mm-hmm. uh, I do think athletes now have a better understanding of that today, though. And Barkley was especially inspiring to you. Can we go to your childhood, uh, to little Timothy Bella? <laughs> why was why did you, as a child, like connect and look up to Charles Barkley? In some ways, he looked like me. He was short. He was fat. He uh, <laughs> basically short than fat. And find <laughs> you. I'm short, short. I'm like five ten. He's he's still six four and a half. So mm. like, and so for average person standards, I'm still short. But still, um, just being someone who loved basketball and wanted wanted to keep playing basketball, even though I was terrible at basketball, I I knew I had had to do one thing to. Uh, just kind of stand out and uh the one thing i could do was rebound in part because i saw charles barkley use his big butt to to get these rebounds (laughs) to mind you he could jump in ways that i could only dream of Mm -hmm. but but he, he used his lower body in ways that I could actually use. So I would see that and I would use that and adapt it to my own game. And it worked out pretty well. So like, and as a big Rockets fan back then, I would see him come in with Phoenix and just boo the absolute hell out of him. Even though I was patterning my game after his and then once he got traded he was my favorite guy mm-hmm. after that but um yeah so this project started off coming from a place of love and childhood and just uh 
remembering how much he meant to me back then. So that was definitely, uh, he's part of the inspiration for, for why I took on this book and why I wanted to write the most comprehensive biography that's been done mm-hmm. on him so far. Yeah, we don't, in terms of like NBA analysis on ESPN, TNT, all kinds of places, like we don't praise the big old butt enough. Like when Luca came into the league, I'm like, that guy has a big old butt. First couple of times I saw him, I'm like, he's going to be special, <laughs> right? Like, because it clears up he's so thick. much space. Yeah, yeah. He's thick. He's special now. He's going to keep being special. Um, I, I think the other guy in the that same category is probably Zion. It's just a big old butt. other thick guy who just, yeah, is big. And if, if you can carry it and mm. still be that special, it, it's even more incredible. Like Kai of old has been a James Harden fan too. Mm. And I, like, he's a thicker dude too. Mm-hmm. So like it, it can be done. Um, and in a ways, Charles showed people that it, it's not impossible. You just have to have discipline and you, you just have to it, it, it just stay focused. And now we see guys like Luka and Zion who are not like, a, you know, of LeBron James mm-hmm. in terms of just being that Adonis. But we don't have to be. Yeah. And so that's you as a little kid, a little Timothy Bella looking up to Charles Barkley, and uh, you got the big old butt, and you're clearing out things, and you're getting rebounds, which is great. I want to connect now you to adult Timothy Bella uh, with Barkley because you are not a traditional sports writer. You write for the Washington Post. Uh, I've seen articles you've written about Alex Jones and Trump, Washington Post. Your Post bio says you cover national and breaking news, Policing, politics, and culture, which is exactly what Barkley covers on D&D. National breaking news, policing, politics, and culture. Like, you guys are walking... me. Yeah. Yeah, you guys are walking the same beat. So, did you connect or did you bond with Charles Barkley because of these similarities? Especially as you got into the later chapters and he's on TNT and kind of talking about these exact same, same things, right? Like, national breaking news, policing, politics, and culture. Did you bond or did you connect with Charles Barkley? Because you walk in the same beat? Yeah, I, I'm not, not sure I'd say Bond, but I w- would say there are a lot of similarities in terms of our interests. Um, I will say that that what Charles, Ernie, Kenny, and Shaq have been able to do in terms of talking about things not related to basketball, whether it be politics or police brutality or Black Lives Matter, has been so important for not just other sports shows, but just everyone in media to see and consume because it shows you that, that, that sports are connected to all of us in in a variety of different ways. And when these other topics come up, they are inevitably going to come into sports because like I mentioned earlier, some of these athletes are the biggest role models in the entire world. They are these huge public figures with these huge platforms. And to have someone like a, LeBron James or a Steph Curry uh, speaking out on issues not related to basketball. It's big for people who might not be as familiar with what's going on in the world. I mean, if these guys are doing a big to uh, people who don't know or who did not know as much about George Floyd or Brianna mm-hmm. Taylor. Um, it's, it's really important. And I, I think a, a big part of that has come from 
inside the NBA just not being afraid to talk about any of that stuff in those big, big moments. So for me and my work, I've always been interested in that. I, I don't think it goes hand in hand with what uh, has happened on inside, but it is convenient that that we do overlap on out of these same things, though. Yeah, like you're saying, like sports is broader, and like you would think a book about Barkley would obviously cover his teammates, uh, coaches, people that work in the NBA, and all that kind of stuff. But you talk to people like Conan O'Brien. Roy Wood Jr. Roy Wood's hilarious. <laughs> I met this is a tangent. I met him at a comedy uh, festival here in Toronto a few years back before the pandemic, and I got to talk to him about chicken nuggets. He and I both like chicken nuggets, so <laughs> we had uh, a good. And you talked to Chuck D, who obviously is a major sports fan. Like he showed yeah. up in like thirty for thirties and things like that. But again, it's just like this is just how big and broad Charles Barkley's world is that like you could talk to Conan O'Brien, Roy Wood Jr. And Chuck D as well as coaches and other players. And it like, this all makes sense in a Charles Barkley book or Charles Barkley life saga. It, it, it all does. Sammy. I mean, in Conan's case, he talked to me for like two minutes, just like strictly on Charles Barkley's, eyebrows and how incredible his <laughs> eyebrows are Man. as a comedic device like it's just yeah and in Chuck D's case huge basketball fan like you said and he's he's a real junkie and and he can tell you why he named Shaq Barkley and Pebble got a pause his mm-hmm. sound his hits on there and yeah, it just, I was always struck and I still am um, amazed by this wide reach that Charles Barkley has had in his whole life. I mean, yeah. I never expected to interview someone like Vice President Dan Quayle for a book on Charles Barkley or a, a former CEO at Publix for a book on Charles Barkley or someone like a Sheriff Joe Arpaio in Arizona, the very (laughs) controversial and racist sheriff out there about Charles Barkley. But each of these people, good, bad, indifferent, uh, has been touched by Charles in one way or another. And honestly, it just blew me away how how many people he has mm. touched in his whole life. I and th- this is only a fraction of the people too. I mean, think about so many of the stories you just don't know about. So if that was a goal of my just getting as many Barkley stories as possible because um, he's lived enough lives. Honestly, for like four or five people. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So last question. Uh, This one's a bit of a difficult one. So try and do your best with it. But I'm curious about your thoughts on this. I understand like there's people are like writing books all the time and there's editing and there's publication schedules. I understand there's all these kind of things happening in the background. But this fall, we had this weird trend in sports books where your book Barkley came out. Barkley, of course, did not win an NBA championship. Uh, we had Chris Herring wrote Blood in the Garden about the 90s, 1990s New York Knicks, which is one of the great basketball teams. Uh, some, awesome book. Too. Yeah, awesome book. But again, they got to the finals, didn't close the deal. Uh, I already alluded at the top of this conversation. Jeff Perlman wrote Bo Jackson, uh, who was, again, was playing two sports and didn't win in either one of those sports. And so we've had this weird kind of trend where, like, these these are prominent players or prominent teams, and they didn't win. And sports is usually dominated by those who win. That's who we make the documentaries about. That's who we celebrate. That's who we talk about. You and I were talking about the role model thing a little bit. That's partly where that kind of comes from as well. So what do you think of this trend where we are kind of just focusing now, like, for this, at least for this window of time, on prominent athletes that are great, but, you know, not quote-unquote great, if that makes sense? Yeah, 
I do think it's a coincidence in terms of just that those books uh, should just <laughs> actually be in bunch together like that. But I will say I've always been interested in people who are not losers, but who have lost in big ways. I've I, and I think. That's very fair to say about Charles and obviously Bo and those Knicks teams. We remember them so fondly, hmm. not, not because they lost, but the fact that they were able to just kind of take our breath away. And the fact that we still talk about these guys and these teams all of these years later, I mean, would it? have made that much of a difference if Charles Barkley won a championship? Would that change the way we talk about him now? It would, would definitely change how much Shaq <laughs> makes fun of him each week. But, <laughs> yes. like... Google me. <laughs> Google me, Chuck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. it did... But... If you think about the life specifically Charles Barkley has lived, would it have changed that much with a championship? I don't think it would. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I would have loved to have seen him get one. But Mm -hmm. as more and more time goes on, I do think we appreciate more these people who did not win championships, but who got their teams to as far as they could possibly go and still be great at the same time. And I do think that's what we've got here with Charles and the fact that, I know he was in a time all-star, two-time gold medalist who's mm-hmm. been inducted into the, the Hall of Fame three separate times. I mean, you've got this this guy who is one in a million, and you'll always talk about him just losing or not winning an NBA championship. And I do think uh, people will always be fascinated with people like Charles Barkley if they have done as much as he's done um, and the, the life he has lived since playing, I, I mean, I th- I think it, it's a no-brainer that it, 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 even if you don't win, you're always going to be enamored with that guy, Charles Barkley. Yeah, all right. That's a positive point. We can leave it there. Thank you, Tim, so much. The book is called Barkley, as we've kind of said it a number of times, but the book's called Barkley. It's out now. And this was so fun. We covered Barbecue from Leeds, Alabama, uh, Loki, uh, Don Rickles, Orson Welles, <laughs> Conan O'Brien, and, of course, the man himself, Charles Barkley. Like, that, again, just that, the, that all those things kind of fit together is surreal, but yet it all makes sense, and that's Charles Wade Barkley. That really is a beauty of Barkley, even if the absurd will make sense and put a big smile on your face. Yeah. (laughs) It does. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tim, for like hanging out. I really do appreciate it. And thank you for the book. It was fascinating because like, as I said, I'm old enough. So I watched Barkley play on the Sixers and I, I didn't really know what happened, how they kind of uh, fell apart there. Like I knew they had Dr. J. I know it was towards the end of Dr. J and like, uh, Moses Malone and all that, and I just didn't know what happened. And of course, I like most people in the '90s. I love that Suns team with Thunder Dan and stuff like that. Yeah, right. Like that was a special NBA team. Like another one of those. Like we were talking about the '90s Knicks. Like that was another like classic uh, NBA team. Like, but again, it was just Jordan's era and Jordan's time, and it just was one of those unfortunate things where like even that Jazz team got there twice and couldn't close the deal. And that phenomenal Sonics team with Sean Kemp crashing and destroying everybody. No regard for human life. Uh, it was a good time of the NBA. So thank you for that like nostalgia trip just to kind of go back and fill in those blanks and see what happens. 
uh, and kind of get some distance. My pleasure. Yeah, it was so much fun uh, just writing this whole book and just reliving a really cool time in history, just all the, around NBA history. You peel off all of those names and teams and um, we're talking about some of the greatest players and teams ever. And it was just uh, a privilege on my to be, to be able to write about all of them and so many other things because uh, the, that's Barkley's life right there. Mm-hmm. By the way, a quick tangent. You talked to Shaq or you had some connection with Shaq and stuff. Was Shaq able to get the book to Barkley? And like, did Barkley ever get back to you or did you ever hear back? Like, that's a like a six degrees of separation. You know what I mean? That's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. So I did interview Shaq and Shaq's mom, Lucille, who was actually best friends with Charles, his mom, Charcy. Um, so got both Shaq and his mom um, in interviews for this book itself. And uh, it, in terms of the endorsement that appears on the front cover mm-hmm. of Barclay, um, yeah, that's something I went back to uh, Shaq's team and said, hey, we want to do this. Oh, and he interviewed him. I was very transparent about the whole thing. I'm like, I don't have Charles on board, but he knows exactly what the book is going to be because I had reached out to Charles and his team before I interviewed a single person with an 81-page outline of the book itself and chapter by chapter breakdown. So he knew what the book was going to be years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so um, after I spoke with Shaq's team, uh, they were able to give me an endorsement from Shaq, which I'm super appreciative of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I did send uh, books to everyone at inside the NBA. So they should have copies of it now uh, before the holidays. So okay. we shall see, we uh, shall see. what they say. But um, yeah, even if he doesn't say anything, that's totally fine because this whole thing has just been an honor. And in some ways it worked out better without him mm-hmm. uh, just because he's over but he said so much in his life. And I was able to just kind of pour through these TV interviews and radio interviews mm-hmm. and podcasts and everything else he's done to make sure his voice is represented in there. Because uh, what good is a Charles Barkley book without Chuck himself in there? True. <laughs> Your book was frustrating in a sense because – I would be reading some of the TNT stuff, for example, and then I'd be like, oh, I got to Google this, like the police presence, right? Like in the, uh, I think it was the Rockets Clippers game. That's my favorite. Yeah, the police presence. That's my favorite, yeah. <laughs> right? So like you start reading in the book, like, oh, I got to put this down. And then the San Antonio Big Old Woman, like, I remember all these bits, right? Yeah. Uh, putting his head under the water, I think it was David Blaine, and he wanted to see how long he could do it. Right and Kenny on a fish tank. Yeah, yeah. And yeah Kenny's in the back just egging him on, and like, you know what I mean. But all that <laughs> stuff, like you, I start reading the book and I'm like, I gotta put this down. Google this and like go back to YouTube and like pull these presents and all that stuff, right? And you're like, I'm just dying. And, like it's so good. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that was something I wanted to just have fun with, and because uh, there have been so any of those incredible mm-hmm. moments and it, 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 being able to just kind of type out some of them. It just made me laugh the whole time, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm thinking of a lot of your time, but congratulations to you, to anybody that helped you with the book, the editors, the transcribers, all that stuff. High five to you and the team. So thank you so much for the book. Thank you, Sammy. Yo, what are you saying? That was Timothy Bella, a staff writer, For the Washington Post, and his highly recommended book is Barkley, a biography. I'm Sam Yunin, host of My Summer Lair.
You got to admit it. That was a fun interview. Every day, there are creators and podcasters like myself who are putting the time in and could use the encouraging boost of a positive comment. This isn't limited to just me, but if you have something nice to say, please leave a comment or how about a rating? Trust me, the creators in your life will appreciate it. Don't be stingy with love, yo. I'm going to close with a trick question. How many words is police presence? If you're Charles Barkley, it's three words. Police presence. Inside the NBA doesn't do this as much, but they would take brief and often hilarious moments from the show as audio and then set it to a 70s-style Fat Albert cartoon. This is the cartoon audio of the police presence. It, <laughs> it kills me every time. It's ridiculous. Like, that you can watch an NBA show and end up with this wild comedy bit is incredible. I don't take any of this for granted. I'm so grateful. Does the, uh, does the Clippers against the Rockets ring a bell? What happened at the end of that game when it oh, they, was uh, over? The, the, uh, the, the locker room message. Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> Audio tune. Uh-oh. chippy game and it did spill over into the hallways the team is gone they've all headed to the bus actually outside of their team bus there is a police presence just to make sure that nothing else develops or escalates hello police chris paul trying to beat me up <laughs> this is hey this is blake griffin chris paul trying to get in the locker room get down here and save me hey Hey, this is Jordan. Uh, I, 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 trying to get in the I, I certainly <laughs> doubt that it was Clipper players who were requesting any. Somebody had to call the police. <laughs> <laughs> I, two guys who would relish guys coming in here like Come me. on, man. I played in the NBA for 16 years, and I've been on the LT for 18 years. This is the first time I ever heard police presence. <laughs> they got, wait, they got a police presence? Are you kidding me? Nobody was trying to get Patrick Beverly. Nobody was trying to get Patrick Beverly. You know, Chris Paul wasn't trying to get to Patrick Beverly. Patrick Beverly's for real. Uh, I'll post a video on the show notes for this episode at (laughs) mysummerlayer.com. Police presence. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you for listening to me in a Barkley world. Police presence, yo.